And here's where you're, I'm going to ask you to change your wiring because you got an addiction. I'm here to talk to you about your addiction. You didn't know it was going to be one of those meetings, right? You're thinking, I went to that one last week. <laughs> so the guy stands up and he says, hi, I'm Chris. And you all go, hi, Chris. Here's what you're addicted to. You love this word. You love this word. Feels so good to hear yes. Woo-hoo. You love hearing yes. You know, there's a story that John Lennon, when he first started falling in love with Yoko Ono, he went to an art exhibit that she put together, and it was kind of this obstacle course thing, and you climbed over stuff, and you crawled under stuff. You came to this rickety ladder. You climbed up this rickety ladder, and the top of the ladder was a telescope, and you looked through the telescope, and tiny letters on a far wall was the word yes. But here's a problem. It's always a hook, right? Now, you guys get addicted to this, and there's actually a study out there that says you should do it. Because it says all you got to do to get to yes, which even to this day has sold more copies than my book. First, you ask somebody to say yes to something little. Then you get them to say yes to something else little. Then you get the third little one, and then bang, you got them. Right? It's called momentum selling. It's called the yes momentum. Many of you, if you've been to trial, you've been taught, never ask a witness a question you don't know the answer to in advance, which means you're going to close down the question, you're going to make it a yes or no, and more than likely it's going to be a yes. So you're willing to admit that you are on a planet Earth because you're going to lead them down a path. Ain't no you're leading them down a path. In sales, it's called the yes momentum or momentum selling. And it says, get them to say yes to the little things and you tie them down. They can't get away. Do you like that? It's a violation of your basic, basic nature to autonomy, your right to autonomy. If, I, if you pick up the phone, phone rings, you pick up the phone, voice on the other end of the phone says, have you got a few minutes to talk? What's your gut reaction? Your gut reaction, a lot of quick, automatic notes. Wait a minute. I'm just trying to get you to say yes to something little. What's the matter with that? Well, the problem is whenever you say yes, you don't know what you're letting yourself in for. And have you got a few minutes to talk? It's pretty simple. You ask yourself, if I have a few minutes to talk, do I want to talk to you? If I have a few minutes to talk and I want to talk to you, do I want to talk about what you want to talk about? There isn't a man or woman alive that hasn't gotten a call from their significant other, and he or she on the other end of the phone says, can we talk? And you think to yourself, well, I like talking to you, but I don't think I want to talk about what you want to talk about. (laughs) Then after that is how long is a few minutes? My next younger sister calls me on the phone when she's got an hour drive in front of her. Have you got a few minutes to talk? That's also code for I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. Uh, another friend of mine, a colleague, happens to be an attorney, but it's just, that just happens to be how he's wired. He lays out this entire agenda. He's going to have you on the phone for at least 45 minutes, and he says, have you got a few minutes to talk? Typically, a few minutes is 45 to an hour. And then the last question you ask yourself at the end of it, how do I get off the phone? So the first problem is you guys got to stop this. You got you to get out of this yes stuff. I'm here to tell you that every time you try to get somebody to say yes, it makes them concerned. And they get defensive and they get their back up and they start to worry about what they're letting themselves in for. Experiment with it. Don't take my word for it. Look around you. A couple of years ago before my, my son, who's now my director of operations and our best negotiator, while he was still trying to grasp us, we come out of a training. The security guard that let us in to the secure building, the same guy that let us in in the morning, is there waiting when we come out. He's got on a uniform that says he works for Allied Security. And at the time, my son is saying, I don't think people are always nervous about saying yes. So we're standing in front of the security guard. He's at work. He's seen us before. He's got his Allied Security uniform on. And I look at him and I go, do you work for Allied Security? And he goes, 
what makes you ask? I just look at my son and I go, what do you want from me? You'll be shocked. Doesn't matter what it is. Is today Friday? Somebody asks you that. You know they're going someplace with that. And you're going to be reluctant. There may have been a point in time, and actually there's an academic study that refers to this as mere agreement, and they say it works. When you look at any study, make sure you look at how they gathered the data and decide for yourself whether or not they thought it was legitimate data. Because I've seen a lot of studies, and I have no doubt there's one out there that says playing basketball makes you tall. People will misinterpret the data. This doesn't work. Ask yourself how much you like it. So some of you should be thinking like, all right, now, now what am I supposed to do? You guys know who this is? Jack. Jack Welch, right? Jack Welch was at a book signing in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. I'm going to the book signing. I'm going to ask Jack to come speak to the negotiation course I teach at USC. I'm going to stand in line with 300 people. Everybody, how many of the people in that line, when they get up to Jack Welch, you think they're going to try to ask Jack Welch to do something? Pretty much all of them, right? How many people that day try to get Jack Welch to say yes to something? How jumpy are they when I come up and I get within arm's length of Jack Welch? Am I going to stand there and talk to him for 20 minutes? They got 300 people in line behind me. Do they know who I am? Have they got my ID? Have they put me through a metal detector? Do they know whether or not I'm carrying a gun? As it turns out, I am carrying a gun. They don't know that. I get this close to Jack Welch, I can do whatever I want to him. I can hurt him if I want. They can't stop me. No shortage of reasons why people are jumping. You or me, what do you say? You want to come talk to my class? Trying to get him to say yes to something, right? Yes is a trap. I told you yes is a trap. Which you haven't been willing to, to experiment with and see yet, but you will if you look for it at all. Here's what I said to Jack Welch. And this, is, this part of the hack is just insanely stupid. I said, is it a ridiculous idea for you to come and speak at the negotiation course I teach at USC? Notice which word I'm looking for. He looks at me, and then he looks up and to the left, and he gets this intense scowl on his face, just really intense scowl, and he freezes, and he doesn't move. And I think to myself, I just killed Jack Welch. Because <laughs> the dude's old, right? And he's so furious, he just had a stroke, and he's going to fall over dead right in front of me. So when he doesn't die initially, I'm relieved, but he still doesn't unfreeze. Now I'm thinking, he looks furious. And he's going to start yelling, scary. Instead, he looks at me and he says, this is my personal assistant's name. This is a special Twitter account we have set up to communicate with her. I will call her and tell her who you are and what you're after. I think we're going to be in Los Angeles in the fall. If we're in Los Angeles in the fall, we'll come and speak to your class. How many answers was that? How many questions would you have normally had to ask to get that many answers? Who should I speak to? How do I get a hold of them? Will you call them and let them know that I'm going to be calling? Will they know who I am? What's your schedule look like? Give that some thought. On a consistent and regular basis, as nervous as people are about saying yes, they feel so comfortable saying no, which you will be shocked at what people are willing to say no to comfortably, that they will then lay out what, five more answers. A calibrated no is worth at least five yeses. You guys think you like yes? What if you could get five to seven yeses all in a row based on one question? We see this regularly. When it's important, I do not bother with the word yes. I have no use for the word. I get five times farther triggering no. Regularly. Any one of your yes questions can be switched to, are you against? 
do you disagree? Have you given up on? Is it a ridiculous idea? Is it a bad idea? Drop that in the front of your yes questions. You'd be shocked at how much farther you get instantly. Most of the people that we train don't even bother with the word yes anymore. It's a useless word. Yes, first of all, yes is nothing without how anyway, because there's three kinds of yeses, commitment, confirmation, and counterfeit. And since that yes momentum nonsense has been used on us so much, people get real good at getting the count, giving the counterfeit yes. Because you've heard it before when, and thought you had a deal and had it fall apart, haven't you? It's happened to everybody. Don't bother with the word. Now, what happens if triggering no is not enough? Here's where you want to be. This is the response you want to get out of people. Not your right, because your right is what they say when you're making your case. And you know when they say your right to you when you're making your case, what do they want? They want you to shut up. If we joke around this, about this inside my company. We say, your right is code for shut the fuck up. But people say it in order to preserve the relationship, but it gets you to shut up. As a matter of fact, you do it all the time. You got a colleague who won't leave you alone. You want him to shut up and go away. You look him in the eye and go, you're right. And they leave. And you go back to what you were doing. They come storming back in the next day. I thought I agreed. We talked about blah, blah, blah. You look at him again and go, you're right. And they leave again. You help people think by switching out of yes and into no. I don't bother with yes. We don't bother with yes. I could, I could go, I could belabor it at length. Yes is commitment. Commitment creates anxiety. No is protection. Protection makes people feel safe and secure and helps them think. Anxiety interferes with people's thought processes. Every time you try to get somebody to say yes to something, you're creating anxiety because they say to themselves, what have I let myself in for? What's the catch? What's the hook? Where's this going? What are you trying to do to me? These are anxiety-creating instances which interfere with their ability to make decisions. It's not me telling you this. This is neuroscience. Anxiety slows the brain. Don't take my word for it. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair. You get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, Click the link in the description below. Yes is the most useless word out there. We don't even bother with it. If we need to close something, I never use it to close, ever. We don't, we don't, it's a useless word. There are three kinds of yeses, commitment, confirmation, and counterfeit. But on the flip side of it is, you all got a bad Jones to yes. You're addicted to it bad. This is going to be hard for you to get out of it because typically, first of all, you bring somebody in, you said, would you like to have wonderful office space? Would you like to retain your employees for years? Would you like to have great terms? Take a look at our proposal. Every yes is a hook. Everybody knows yes is a hook. Everybody knows there's a hook buried in every yes. And the crazy thing about that, this is a word that depends upon what side we're on, how we react to it. Because hearing it, we want to hear it. It's been, yes has been described as one of the most beautiful words in the language, the most beautiful word in the language. And there's a story, John Lennon, John Lennon began to fall in love with Yoko Ono when he went to an art exhibit she had. And it was kind of an obstacle course thing. He crawled over stuff and he climbed up stuff and he came to a ladder and he climbed this rickety ladder. And at the top of a ladder was a telescope and you looked through the telescope and a little bit of letters on a far wall was the word yeah. So we love to hear it. But we're completely blinded as to how we start to react instantly when somebody tries to get us to say it. Phone rings, you pick it up, and the, other, and the voice says, have you got a few minutes to talk? What's your gut reaction? Yeah. Everybody's gut reaction is no. Is anybody, seriously, is there anybody in this room that when somebody says, have you got a few minutes to talk, you go, thank God you called, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Just ask me anything. Every time I say yes, I'm going to feel wonderful. No. Where's the hook? What's the catch? What am I lending myself in for? Where's this going? Have you got a few minutes to talk as only an individual example? First question you ask yourself, if I have a few minutes to talk, do I want to talk to you? 
If I have a few minutes to talk and I want to talk to you, do I want to talk about what you want to talk about? There isn't one of us who hasn't received a call from our significant other, man or woman. Man gets a call from his significant other, most important person in the world to him. She says, can we talk? And he thinks, well, I like talking to you, but I don't think I want to talk about what you want to talk about. So essentially what you're going to do when you're doing no-oriented questions is you're going to make no work for you. Okay, you're going to get them to give you a yes, but they're actually going to be able to say no. Yes, when you're, when you're going for a yes from somebody and you're constantly trying to get them to say yes, you're taking away their autonomy. And when someone says yes, sometimes it seems like a trap to them. It also seems like no matter what the question is, if they say yes, it's some kind of a commitment that they might not be ready to get into. So instead, ask them a question that they can answer no to, but it actually means yes to you. Because saying no makes people feel protected, makes them feel safe, makes them feel like they still have all their cards hidden and they just feel better about it. So if you put that question um, in a way that allows them to be negative, it works out better for you. Also, when you're constantly asking questions that you want a yes answer to, you look like that demanding mother who says, did you clean your room? Did you do the dishes? Did you do this? Did you, did you make your bed? Because, you know, everyone heard that from mom growing up, right? Yeah. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. And it's just like so annoying. So no one wants to be equated to the demanding mom. So instead, you can say, would it be impossible for you to make a copy of this for me? And they're going to want to say no. Because maybe they don't want to make the copy. I don't know. But they're going to say no. But is it going to mean no? It's going to, no, it's going to mean yes to you because of the way you phrase the question. So it's really kind of magical how this works. Um, essentially, you are demonstrating concern for what this ask, what the impact that ask is going to have on that person. Because, you know, when you're asking someone to go run an errand for you, ooh, would it be impossible for you to run to the store and get this for me? Okay, you're, you're saying, yeah, by my tone of voice, I'm letting you know that I know this is, might be inconvenient for you, but would it be impossible for you to just do this for me? Proper tone is important. Um, Davey, take the next one. Sets of the powerful feeling of graciousness. You're better at this one than I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, because you can use the, I mean, there are a few phrases that are really go-to for an oriented questions. So would it be impossible to, would it be ridiculous? Would it be um, out of the question? Like those are three really good go-tos. Um, if you want to make it a little bit more specific. So for example, like um, say that you have to move a meeting, like this happens to me a lot, right? Um, then you say, would it throw off your whole, like, I know you're already busy. Would it throw off your whole schedule if we move this meeting? So it's, it's almost this opportunity, again, to express understanding, to express like, hey, I know you're busy, this might throw everything off. So you can even phrase the question in that way, right? Or something I really like to do is, would it be really difficult to, or would it be bothersome to? So like, you can use whatever you think, like, well, they might feel like this is annoying, or they might feel like um, this is going to be really problematic for them. And so then you say that in the, in that knowing question, it's almost like a way that you can kind of address whatever it is that they're going to feel within the knowing question, essentially. So it makes it feel kind of gracious because you've thought about this. You've thought about how is this going to impact you instead of just making an ask and making sure they do it. You're thinking about, okay, this is going to impact this person in, in this way. Mm -hmm. And you express that, and then they're even more likely to want to do what you're asking, essentially. It also, depending on the kind of question that you're asking, and some of the things that Davey was just saying kind of fall under this, makes the other side feel like the decision to do the action was theirs. So if you, and you can double whammy them with an accusations audit, um, yeah, you may think I'm, I'm being so irresponsible with my time and my schedule. Would it be impossible or would it put you in a bad position if we could move the meeting to three o'clock? And then they're going to say, oh, no, no, it's okay. We, we can move the meeting. It's going to feel like the decision was theirs because you, 
you basically ask that question <clears throat> in a way that it feels like they can decide whether or not they can make the movement. But because it was kind of geared at a no-oriented question, it makes them feel like they were nice enough to take that action for you and it was their decision. Yeah, okay, like so the ball does, was in their court. They're doing this for you. Yes. And it, it lets is, them feel like they're being nice. Exactly. And that is huge when you're talking about um, where you stand psychologically with somebody. Because the more you make somebody feel like they are in control, the better they feel, even when they're not in control, because you know you're asking the questions in such a way that you are literally in control, but you're letting them feel like they have the control. Um, so that that does do something for people in their brains. So it's just something to really keep you know, in the forefront of your mind, when you're about to ask someone a yes question that you want a yes to take two seconds to frame it so that they can say no, but still mean yes to you. Yeah, exactly. Then they feel like they're the ones that are, that they're maintaining power essentially. Yes. Because no is a powerful thing to be able to say to someone. Hi, Chris. Great meeting you the other week. And I loved your story about meeting Jack Welch and uh, asking him to come speak at your uh, class, I believe it was at SC, um, by framing yeah. it in a no question. I want you to know I've been using that with my girlfriend. I've been using the, would it be ridiculous? Or would I be out of line if I asked for this? And I wanted to know if you had any other good no questions to ask that are really yes questions. You know, I don't, I, I don't, all of them. I mean, I don't ask any yes questions. Uh, I, ju I just know that people, it works better. It hits the brain better. So, you know, uh, is now a bad time to talk? Um, is it a ridiculous idea? Have you given up on? Um, is it a bad idea? Are you opposed? Do you disagree? I mean, with, with the slightest amount of practice, you could switch any yes question into a no question. And it, it just works. It works better across the board. I mean, we don't, nobody in my company asks yes questions. Nobody, nobody asks, uh, have you got a few minutes to talk? Nobody says, do, do you agree? It just across the board, it makes it safer for people to answer. And also the real issue always is if there are problems, I want you to feel free to tell me what the problems are. And you're going to feel free to tell me those problems after no. So, with just a little bit of practice, uh, and it takes practice. You know, all of these are, are you know, get your practice reps in, in the low stakes conversations. And pretty soon the stuff starts, starts flowing out of your mouth. I'm, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm in a, uh, I'm making a pitch in a hotel for a room upgrade, and I don't got any room upgrades. But I've worked so much on no oriented questions, and because, like, I am pushing this guy hard for something extra that I'm not paying for. And finally, he, I says, well, is it ridiculous for you to make it up for me at the bar? And he's like, he's like, no, no. And he goes and gets a bunch of free drink coupons for the bar. So, you know, no oriented questions is a great one to practice. You'll find it'll bail you out when you're trying to get free drinks. <laughs> I, I don't even bother with the word yes. And when we were when we were working on the book, uh, one of the guys that I was working with, he said, "Hey, how'd you, how'd you get the as a hostage negotiator? How'd you get kidnappers to say yes?" The only question I can remember being thoroughly stumped by because I'd never really thought about it that hard at that time. And I said, "No, we never did. It's a useless word, so we didn't even bother with it." So some of you are sitting there, sitting there thinking right now, like, "Okay, fine. Now what do you want me to do?" Because that's all I do. And you know what? I close deals that way, too. You can't tell me that I don't close deals getting people to say yes. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying your batting average isn't anywhere close to what it should be. You're batting 125 when you should be batting 350 for you baseball players. Yeah, stick to 125. You want to stay there? Because this is what it looks like, and this is why it fails. Would you like to have a more efficient system? Would you like to have more customers? Would you like to have more free time? <coughs> Buy my product. <laughs> now this is, maybe there was a point in time when this was a good idea, maybe. But the swampland timeshare salesman, the coupon book, 
the $50,000 coupon book salesman has already battered them so hard that they're battered by yes. You guys know anecdotally what happens if you come across a battered child and you try to hug them. They still flinch and jump back from you. But wait a minute, I was trying to give them a hug. I'm a good guy. I meant well. I wasn't trying to trap them. I was trying to have integrity. It doesn't matter. They're battered. Everybody's battered by yes. You, you got to stop this. You got to stop it. Okay, fine. You convinced me. Now what? Number one, is now a bad time to talk? Look, this is a great way to get started on relearning a lot of your communication skills into the black swan method. And one of the greatest and simplest ways is to start with no oriented questions in place of a question you ask all the time. And a question you ask all the time is, have you got a few minutes to talk? How many phone calls, how many interactions have you started out with? Have you got a few minutes to talk? That's a yes-oriented question. We hate yes. We love no. And this is how you begin to make the transition and to begin to take power. And I'll explain to you in a little while how just a switch from yes to no can probably increase your close rate at least 23%. So instead of have you got a few minutes to talk, is now a bad time to talk? Now, there are only two answers to this question. This happens all the time. You only are going to get one of two answers. A person is either going to say, no, no, it's never a bad time to talk. What do you got? And you've got their complete attention, which is what you were after to begin with. Or they're going to say, yeah, it is a bad time to talk, but I can talk Tuesday at 2. If it is a bad time to talk, they always give a great time to schedule a call where, again, you've got their undivided attention. Now, what's the problem with have you got a few minutes to talk? Ask yourself, what do you feel when somebody asks you, have you got a few minutes to talk? All these things go through your mind. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Uh, do I want to talk to you? Um, how long is a few minutes? The point is, and when all these things are going through someone's mind, they're not listening to you. So when someone says, no, no, it's never a bad time to talk to you, they've completely cleared their mind and they're prepared to talk to you. Now, what if they just say yes and they don't give you a good time to talk? I've seen people ask this on LinkedIn all the time. This is insane. How stupid is that? Do you really want to talk with someone when they've just told you it's a bad time to talk, you really want to keep them on the phone with you while they've just said they don't want to talk and it is a bad time to talk? That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Speaking of ridiculous, number two, no oriented question. Is it a ridiculous idea? Now we ask this instead of, is it a good idea? We ask this instead of, would you like to? Is it a ridiculous idea? This is a question I use with Jack Welch, very generous man based on my interaction with him, to get him to agree to come and speak at the negotiation course I was teaching at the University of Southern California at the time. I go to a book signing. There are a long line of people in, in line trying to get Jack Welch to sign their book. Jack and Susie Welch are out on a book tour on their most recent book at the time, The Real Life MBA. They're signing books in L.A. I want to go and get Jack to speak at the class. They're hustling people through the line. They're doing everything they can to keep you from talking to Jack while you go through the line for a whole variety of reasons. You've got maybe 30 seconds from the moment that you walk up to the moment they want you to walk away. This is not time to engage in a negotiation or a conversation. I walk up to Jack Welch. He has no idea who I am. I'm just another person at the book signing. And I say... Is it a ridiculous idea for you to come and speak at the negotiation course that I teach at USC? Now he looks up and to the left and he gets this hideous look on his face. And he looks furious. And he just freezes with this look on his face. I get horrified. I'm afraid I made him so angry he's had a stroke or something. He's getting ready to die. Finally, he looks down at me and says, this is my personal assistant's name. This is a Twitter account that we use to communicate with her. 
I will call her and tell her who you are. I think we're going to be in Los Angeles in the fall. If we are, we'll come in and speak at your course. This is one of the great things that a no-oriented question does. It triggers follow-on thought. While Jack was looking up and to the left, he was thinking through implementation details before he responded to me. This is one of the crazy things, the crazy advantages of no-oriented questions. Number three, are you against? We use this instead of, are you in favor of? Would you like to do? Does this sound like a good idea? Are you against? And then name whatever it is. One of the times this worked great was we were teaching the Black Swan team, myself and Brandon, we were teaching a Black Swan method to some people in the healthcare industry. One of the women in the room who worked on behalf of this healthcare company had been trying to get the, a head nurse in a particular hospital to implement a program. The head nurse had been adamantly against it. She was always saying no, 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 no. This is one of the things that's interesting. People get into the mode of always saying no, and it's their automatic response. This is why no warranted questions works. She wanted to test the idea to see if we could get no oriented questions to work. She walks out of the room, she calls the head nurse and says, are you against? And then asked her to implement the program that she'd been trying to get the head nurse to say yes to for weeks. When she simply went from a yes response to a no response, are you against? The head nurse said, no, I'm not against it. And they made the agreement on the spot. She turned around and walked back into the room and said, you guys are not going to believe what just happened. She went out and got an agreement on the spot with a no that she hadn't been able to get previously for weeks. Now, let's do something crazy. Let's put the two of these things together. You'll find that people suffer all human beings suffer from something known as decision fatigue. They can only make so many decisions in a given day. And they're beginning to run out of energy for decision making sometime after lunch in the afternoon and they begin to get drained. So a couple of years ago, I had an intern that only asked me what and how questions because he was horrified at doing something wrong all the time. He was just afraid to make a mistake. And he'd ask me what to do or how to do something in the middle of the afternoon. And I'd be like, I, I, I don't know, leave me alone. And finally, I told him, anytime after one o'clock on any given day, don't ask me any questions unless the answer is no. And I'll be able to think it through. And then he could ask me at the end of the day, look, I'm going to do this. Do you want me to do this? And I'd be like, no, do this. And I'd give him an answer. I could give him direct guidance straight away. People can answer no-oriented questions even when they're decision fatigued. Now, how can I prove this to you? Several years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Robert Herzevich. Robert Herzevich, very generous guy. Got introduced via an email, mutual friend. We go to lunch, steakhouse in LA. He happened to have an office just down the street from where I was living at the time. And it was my favorite kind of lunch. Free. He paid. Number one indicator of how generous a guy he is. Number two, I got 90 minutes with him. Second indicator of how generous a guy was. And is. So at the time, we're getting ready to teach the Black Swan Method at uh, a live training session in New York. I offer him a free ticket. Now, I don't expect him to come. I think he's going to send one of his top guys. I want them learning the Black Swan Method. He looks back at me and says, how many can we buy? Another indicator of a generous guy. So we're going back and forth with his team over how many tickets they're going to buy. Brandon, Brandon Voss, the president of the Black Swan Group, calls me on the phone and says, we can't get a commitment out of Herjavec's people, and we're getting ready to sell the event out. Our tickets are expensive and they sell out because the Black Swan method is that good. People want the value. Brandon says to me, if you don't get Herjavec to commit to the tickets now, 
then we're going to be sold out by tomorrow morning. He's not going to get any, and I'm going to sell the free ticket that you promised him. Now, I'm in Los Angeles at the time. Brandon's on the East Coast, which means he's got a three-hour advantage, or we've got a three-hour disadvantage in Los Angeles, and it is 4.30 in the afternoon. And one of the additional problems is we got to get this executed because by the time the business day starts in L.A., it's three hours into the business day on the East Coast. It's almost lunchtime. I got to execute this now. I send an email to Robert Herjavec at 5.03 in the afternoon. Remember the decision fatigue issues? When was the last time you tried to get an answer out of somebody after 5 o'clock at night? I send him a two-line email. Number one, is it a ridiculous idea for you to commit to three tickets to the event now. Second line, are you against paying for them before the business day starts in New York tomorrow? That email goes out of 5.03. I get a response at 5.04. No, we're prepared to commit to three tickets now. No, it's not a problem. My assistant will get back to you within the hour and we will pay for the tickets. The tickets are paid for and it's all wrapped up at 523 in the afternoon. From 503 to 523. No oriented questions to close the deal. Number four, which is also the number one way to restart communications. Have you given up on X and the name, whatever it is? Send that out in a one line email with this in the subject. And if you put anything in the body, put only that in the body. Send it out as a text message by itself, word for word. This is one of these things in the Black Swan Method that you have to execute word for word. I once had a woman say, you know, I tried that have you given up line and it didn't work. And I said, all right, well, really? Okay, possible. Tell me word for word what you said. And she said, well, you know, I thought the way you worded it was a little harsh, so instead of saying, have you given up on, I said, should we give up on having lunch to discuss the project? And I thought to myself, I, you know, I wouldn't answer that either. Here's a side note. In your choice of pronouns, you'll notice that a lot of times people default and say we when they mean you. A couple of years ago, I was talking with Brandon about a project that wasn't getting done. And I called him on the phone. I said, look, we got a problem. And he said, you know, stop interrupting me with that we stuff. You mean I got a problem. Let's be honest. Change your we's to you when you mean you. The other side will actually appreciate it. But this is a common problem that people do in their pronouns. Be really careful. If you mean you, say it. People know the disguised we and they're not fooled by it. It actually makes them feel very uneasy. Have you given up on? Now, context is important. This has to be something that's ongoing. I got to tell you, the Black Swan Group, I get emails all the time. First time email, somebody says, have you given up on doing business with me? Well, since I never started, I couldn't have given up. So I take this as a sign of a manipulative person. Already, I don't want to do business with. Many times, just to make the point, I'll fire back, yes, because it was so out of context. So this is context-driven. This has to be something that they have been working on for a while. Now, we really got onto this line in a Black Swan team a number of years ago when we were teaching negotiation at Georgetown. And one of the students in the class, and I mentioned this in the book, never split the difference, brilliant student at Georgetown, He's working on a Republican fundraising committee. This was several elections back. I think it was the second Obama election. 
and they're doing dialing for dollars at night. What's dialing for dollars at night? They call people on the phone. They ask them three yes-oriented questions. Supposed to be tie down. Supposed to be the yes momentum. Then you ask for the money. Theoretically, the way this nonsensical theory works is that people got to say yes to the last question. Everybody's been hustled and conned by this. Believe me, they don't have to say yes to the last question. The idea that each yes is a microagreement or tie down is nonsense. However, it's really common in the real world, and a lot of people do this, because much of the real world is monkey see, monkey do, and this is caught on. Well, he goes in that night, and he changes the yes-oriented questions to no-oriented questions. And the first question was, of course, would you like to take the White House back in November? So he changes it to the no-oriented question, have you given up on taking the White House back in November? They ran the no-oriented script side-by-side side to the yes-oriented script that night in the morning. They had a 23% higher success rate with the no-oriented script, 23%. What happened with the committee that he was working on? They came in that morning and they looked at the results and they said, don't ever do that again. That was a fluke. That's not the way we do things around here. Have you given up on? It's got to be driven by something that someone has been working on. Here's something else that's important for you to remember in this. If they've gone silent on you, if they're ghosting you, and this is the response for when someone has gone silent on you, when they're ghosting you, this one line will restart your communication. It will work and it is a one-shot reset. What's important to remember Remember this phrase, the system you're employing is perfectly designed to give you the outcome that you've achieved. Your communication system with the person who's ghosting you is perfectly designed to get them to ghost you. You cannot go back to the same approach that you had that led up to them going silent on you, them ghosting you. You cannot. I gave this advice one time to a woman who's selling an investment fund, shares in an investment fund. She was having trouble getting a man to get back to her that she wanted to make the investment. And I said, look, send, send this out, send this text out. He'll respond. She's like, fine. You know, he's not getting back to me, but I got nothing to lose. So I'll go ahead and try it anyway. The guy responded. And she went right back into her sales pitch that led him to ghost her in the first place. And that was the last time she ever heard from him. So don't go back to the communication system that you were using. Now, why did they ghost you? Because the communication was ineffective. People continue to communicate if it's effective, if it's working for them, if it's moving their agenda, it's, if it's helping them get to their goals. So one of two things has happened in the midst of this communication. Number one, they've lost all power and influence on their side of the table. They're embarrassed to tell you about it. You have to take that into consideration. Number two, you're not listening. You're pitching, you're selling. If you were listening to them, they'd still be in touch with you. If you were listening to them, you'd have heard the hints, you'd have perceived the signals that they were sending out to you about whatever the problems were, that they're losing power and influence in their company on their side of the table, or that you're not listening. You have to take this into account before you restart the communication. The most likely thing for you to do after you've restarted the communication is to summarize the situation from their perspective. You want to reestablish productive communication. You want to establish rapport. You want to get them bonded back to you to continue to find out what's going on. You've got to get a that's right out of them. Do a great summary. Summarize the communication from their perspective. Summarize the negatives, stay away from your sales pitch, stay away from your value proposition, 
get a that's right out of them and you will have fully reset the communication. How many of you have people that are not getting back to you on the phone? We call them non-responders. There was a CEO of a company that we were interacting with recently. We gave him an instantaneous fix for this, which I will give to you. And he sent us an email back and he said, I'm 12 for 12 on my non-responders. All 12 got back to me instantly. Now, if the CEO of the company's 12 for 12, how many non-responders are going on in his company and how much is that costing them? Because you non-responders are the, the proposals, they're the deals that you're chasing. And there's an old saying in business, it's not a bad thing to not get the deal. It's a bad thing to take a long time to not get the deal. That's what's killing you. And the non-responders are the people that you're chasing and chasing and chasing. You know how many non-responders I have or anybody in my company has? Zero. And I will happily tell you that I'm a non-responder to a number of people that are chasing us. Because <laughs> they're not dialing in properly to me. They're not taking the time to pay attention or give me this yes nonsense. Or they're sending me an email. It's a page long. How many of you like reading long emails? <laughs> How many of you send them? One of the biggest surprises that I took really to heart in the book was getting to know yeah. first, where we're so wired, right? I mean, we're completely wired for the opposite. For example, on a recruiting call, if I call a typical agent, you know, who doesn't know who I am, I may say, hey, you know, Chris, this is Alex Vidal with Related IG, blah, blah, blah. How are you doing today? By the way, I see you're a great agent. I was calling to see if you would be interested in learning more about my company. And the typical answer is, no, I'm happy where I'm at. It's a 30-second call. Right. I read your book. I sit down with my leadership team. And I say, guys, I want to try something different. Just, ha just hang out. I'm going to put it on speaker. So I call Chris. And now Chris answers the phone. And I say, hey, Chris, this is Alex Vidal with Related SG International Realty. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm like, oh, man, I'm doing great. I already know you're a great agent, just the fact that you even picked up your phone to begin with. And they start laughing, you know, because realtors in South Florida never answer their phone. So then I follow it up and go, let me ask you a question. Do you want to make less money this year than you did last year? And they say, no. And I'm like, no? No, of course not. Of course I want to make more money this year than I did last year. Oh, it sounds like you want to make this your best year ever. I do. Well, that's why I was calling. I want to show you how my brokerage can help make that happen for you. And I got the no right away. And then you got the no out of the way. And then I followed it up with, you know, the, the mirroring and the labeling and all that. And it was very interesting. My average recruiting call went from 30 seconds to 10 minutes. Wow. And just using that opening line. And I don't care. I'll share it with my competitors. I, I really, it doesn't really bother me. They were spewing out information, literally using the mirroring and the labeling. What is it about people's need to want to say no and what are the benefits of getting that no out of the way first? Yeah, you know, um, we're conditioned. There's some conditioning out there that, that we got to recognize. It's just true. Yep. So we've gotten conditioned that every time we say yes, somebody's trying to lead us into a trap. Somebody's trying to get us to say yes. You know, the uh, momentum selling says each yes is a tie down. A tie down takes away our autonomy, a basic human driver of what we are as human beings, not what we are as males or females, not what we are as Westerners, is human beings. And this is about human wiring. You can't point to a, a civilization in the history of mankind that was content as slaves. It's driven us since we crawled out of the swamps. So these tie-downs take away our autonomy and immediately begin to diminish rapport as we take away somebody's autonomy. And so we've been conditioned that if somebody's trying to get us to say yes, we're under attack. We've also conditioned ourselves is when we say no, we've just protected ourselves. We've just done something to preserve our autonomy. We're safer every time we say no, which is why so many people's default answer is no, not because they thought it through, but they've conditioned themselves, which means they feel safe when they say no. There's a neurochemical response. Sure. The chemicals that you feel when you say no make you feel safe and secure. Consequently, you're more willing to listen. Your guard's not up. You've protected yourself. 
So you start out with that question right away where somebody says no, then they've just gotten ahead of all the chemicals that make them feel safe. And now they're willing to talk to you. And then you've got a, you've got a, your, uh, your follow-on moves are all designed to make them feel heard. Like you're interacting with them instead of against them. I mean, it sounds like you like to make more money. That was based on their response. You instantly prepare yourself to go into a collaborative conversation. Again, they're not threatened. They're not being attacked. They're not under siege. And now it's, it's, I'm not the least bit surprised that you're going from 30-second calls to 10-minute calls because as soon as you preserve the other side's autonomy, now they can talk to you candidly. Plus, you're different than all the other bozos out there that are trying to get them to say yes. That's it. And, and you know, the, the, the typical answer is, well, I'm happy where I'm at. Oh, it sounds like they take really good care of you. Yeah, they do. Awesome. What is it that they, they take? You know, maybe I can learn something about I can do in my company. What is it that they do to take care of you? And then you start finding all these holes and then the wall just keeps coming down. We had a conversion rate of 75% from calls to appointments. It was, it was un, unbelievable. And that's why I believe so much in the book. I, I read a lot of books, but very few make an, a direct, immediate impact the way, the way yours did. Just cu- curious. Um, all right. So you got to a conversion rate of 75%. What, what roughly were you doing before that? Oh, probably we would get maybe one out of maybe every six seven, eight calls, maybe we'd get an appointment. Wow. And then those appointments had to show up. The, the fact was not only were we at a 75% conversion rate, but the, the bond that we had created with those people during that phone call was so good that they actually showed up for the appointment versus, and it, I don't even have questions about the yeses, but we, you, know, you talk about in your book, the three types of yeses that we get, uh, that we typically get. Um, and so by spending 10 minutes on the phone with them, we, we actually get the approval action-based yes that moves the the ball forward not just something to get us off the phone interesting subscribe to the black swan groups negotiation newsletter which is free doesn't cost you anything i had a colleague of the fbi that used to like to say if it's free i'll take three here's how you subscribe to the edge if you're in the united states send the text to the number is 33777 that's 33777 The text message that you send is Black Swan Method, Black Swan Method 233777. Comes to your email inbox on Tuesday mornings when you're ready to rock and roll and get after the week.